Drafting Archetypes is sponsored by Grey Viking Games. Grey Viking Games is the best place to get MTGA arena codes. From booster packs to awesome cosmetics, check them out at greyvikinggames.com and use our code DRAFT for 10% off. Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today we are going to be talking about drafting Silverquill Aggro in Strixhaven. First, for any patrons, the uh, notes for this episode have been posted, so feel free to go over to patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes and pull those up to follow along if that interests you. So Silverquill Aggro is a really straightforward deck. It just does the thing that the college was designed to do. It's honestly pretty hard to go wrong with. The cards are really good, and most of them play to this strategy in some way. And as long as you just like avoid the bad cards, take the good cards, uh, you should have a pretty good deck. If you are just like first level drafting, Silver Quill Aggro is the strongest deck. It has like a great win rate across the board. It has a better win rate in sealed than in draft, despite the fact that sealed typically punishes aggressive decks. I suspect that the reason for this is that it's so strong that the cards are contested in draft, whereas in sealed, just playing the best cards in the packs that you open tends to lead you to Silver Quill because the cards are just good. The way the format's balanced kind of counts on the natural forces of drafting to balance Silver Quill. So anytime it's not overdrafted, it's going to be good. I know that there was an article on Star City Up about forcing Silver Quill in the bot drafts, the quick drafts on Arena, which is kind of more like sealed than draft in a way, in that, you know, bots don't automatically self-correct a draft the way that humans do, theoretically. So anyway, yeah, Silver, Silver Quill is very strong. Uh, people ask what the best archetype is, and I generally don't answer because, you know, the nature of draft is self-correcting, and I think that Silver Quill is not the best by a wide margin. If, you know, three people are at the table in Silver Quill, you know, none of them, I think, is the single person who's most favored to win at the table if it's like being, you know, contested by three people. But that said, I wouldn't be surprised if three people all ended up with reasonable decks in Silver Quill. The point is, this isn't a fringe deck. This is a deck where, you know, every pod should have at least one person drafting it and having a successful deck. If no one's touching these cards, the draft is going to look really weird. I guess the main thing to understand is what's involved in taking the good cards. Which ones are they? I think the first thing to note is, like with Witherbloom, work together to get the most out of these cards type stuff is a trap. The plus one, plus one counters stuff in particular. A key example of that is like Promising Dusk Mage. It's just like really, really, really bad. Like you should definitely never put that card in your Silver Cool deck. Dueling Coach or whatever it is, the four drop that puts a plus one, plus one counter on something. An uncommon that looks like it might be reasonably strong. Nope, don't play it. Tenured Ink Caster, same kind of situation. It looks like it might be okay if you're playing like Dueling Coaches and trying to like get counters on all your things or whatever. Nope. That one's like kind of a fine playable because it doesn't cost mana to get anything out of its ability. And sometimes you do end up with other plus one plus one counters because notably Guiding Voice, it's actually just really strong independently. But you don't want to be trying to push the plus one plus one counter synergy stuff. You just want to use Guiding Voice to put a counter on an invasive creature and learn something for one mana, which is a great deal. As is kind of a recurring theme in 
Strixhaven, the kind of like written synergies when you first like read the set and try to figure out, okay, what is this like pair doing to get more than some of its parts? All eyes. What you're trying to do in Silver Quill is like have a good curve, have some evasion, have some removal. Don't do fancy stuff just to attack people. That's the big trap to avoid. So then the question is like, okay, well, if I can't find like that synergy to get the most out of my cards, how do I get the most out of my cards? What makes one Silver Quill deck win rather than another one? For the most part, the answer is just having more generally good cards. Like everybody wants the same cards regardless of what they're doing. And if you have more of the top priority ones, then your deck's going to be better. There are a couple of really minor exceptions to that. And by really minor exceptions, I don't exactly mean that. Basically, your deck is going to consist of creatures, learn spells, removal, and occasionally a protective trick like Professor's Warning, which is the one black, put a plus one, plus one counter on something, or give it indestructible until end of turn instant, or Beaming Defiance, which is the one in a white instant that gives plus two, plus two, and Hexproof until end of turn. So you're going to have like a couple of protective tricks, creatures, removal, cards that learn, and then maybe you'll have an Essence Infusion or, you know, some other kind of like pump spell type effect, although mostly you're looking for expanded anatomy to fill that role, which is the lesson that puts two plus one plus one counters on a creature and gives it vigilance. Often with an aggro deck, what I'd be talking about now is like the mix of creatures and removal spells you want and like how many of these different cards you want and stuff. Thing is, the lesson and learn situation. Silverquill has a bunch of good sheep learn cards. Ideally, you want to be playing Guiding Voice, Hunt for Specimens as your top priority and then like Study Break and Rise of Exodus below that, and then Cram Session, not ideal for this archetype. It's a strong card, but this isn't really the place for it because you're aggressive and it's not. Gain four life doesn't help you kill somebody. If you have those things, then your like creature count is a lie. As long as you have some ways to learn and you have ideally two summonings, like two Inkling Summonings or an Inkling Summoning and a Spirit Summoning, or an Inkling Summoning and a Pest Summoning, you really want the Inkling Summoning part, then you can have a pretty low creature count and still like routinely have access to like enough threats to be attacking your opponent as long as your other cards are you know interacting with the board in some way, which all the stuff that I'm suggesting does. Since you'll also have lessons that are not summonings, you'll have like Expanded Anatomies or Noxious Fumes or other lessons. It's hard to have like too many or too few creatures. It just doesn't matter very much. The lessons are just really forgiving and really smoothing of your draws. The important thing is just having a good curve and having good cards rather than trying to like build a particular like mix of card types and effects and stuff like that. Part of the strength here is that the learn cards are very good and the lesson cards are very forgiving about making sure that you get to just like play a game of magic where you have like a good mix of creatures and removal and stuff. You're an aggro deck, but the lessons give you a lot of extra things to spend your mana on. And part of why this deck is so strong is you can just put like most of your effort into prioritizing having a really low curve so that you can curve out and then you won't run out of stuff to do ideally until the game's basically over. And that whole idea happens to line up really, really well against the rest of the format, especially the people who are trying to use learn cards that don't impact the battlefield very much to set up environmental sciences infrastructure, infrastructure type stuff so that they can start like playing their game a little bit later on. Silvercoil really punishes that whole idea, which is part of why I 
push pretty heavily toward you really need to focus on two drops in any other archetype so that you don't get run over by silver quill because it is so strong and so punishing when someone falls behind, especially because what often happens when someone falls behind and the silver quill deck gets multiple like two twos in, onto the battlefield is the person who's fallen behind will try to play a big creature to get virtual card advantage, something where they play one creature and it's going to hold off the two or three creatures that the silver quill opponent has. Well, there are a couple of problems with that. One, the card you're going to play to try to get virtual card advantage might not have flying. And then you might find that all the silver creatures are evasive in your card that you put in your deck to try to stabilize in this spot isn't actually capable of doing that. Or two, the silver quill deck has a lot of really good efficient removal. And when you play a creature to try to stabilize, they just kill it and hit you again. And that puts you in a spot where you're like, oh no, now I just took a bunch of extra damage I didn't need to take. I should have played a removal spell instead of this creature because I should have known that my Silver Quill opponent would have a removal spell and this creature wouldn't actually get to block and I need to be just like answering their stuff so that I'm taking less damage. So you learn that lesson and you go into the next draft and you have this like defensive deck and you prioritize removal instead of prioritizing blockers. But now you find that the removal that you were able to get your hands on, it's like heated debates buried in books if things are going well. If things are going poorly, you're looking at like Mage Hunter's Onslaughts and Pigment Storms. Now what you find is, well, the Silver Quill opponent who played a bunch of 1-1s and 2-2s, you have to trade down on mana on your removal spells, and you're not forcing your opponent to spend their mana on removal spells. So they just play more threats, like they play Hunt for Specimens, get 3 mana summoning. Now you're just falling further and further behind while they're playing more cheap creatures and continuing to pressure you. So Silver Quill is really good at kind of putting decks that are trying to play defensively in a squeeze, where the removal is often too inefficient, and the blockers just get killed, and there's a lot of evasion that you have to worry about. And if you try to block, sometimes that's not an effective strategy because sometimes if they don't kill your creature, maybe they tap it with study break, maybe they grow their own creature with essence infusion or expanded anatomy, and now you don't have a good block anymore. The silver quill decks are just really good at putting their opponent in this like aggressive squeeze. And so that's what you're looking to do when you're drafting silver quill. So you want learn cards and you want cheap creatures. And then when there isn't a cheap creature or a learn spell or removal available, then you start taking the more expensive creatures. A lot of the what to take kind of questions for me when I'm drafting Silver Quill come down to just like which two drop do I want? Specifically, do I want like Eager First Year or Leech Fanatic or Arrogant Poet? The really good uncommons, I know I want those over those. Like I know I'm taking Professor of Symbology, Killian, Thunderous Orator. If those are in the pack, great, I'm taking one of them. But often I have to decide between the commons. All three of those commons are pretty close to each other and have different strengths and weaknesses. The more removal you have, the more you want Eager First Year over Leech Fanatic and Arrogant Poet because your opponent is less likely to successfully able to block. And when they try to block, your Eager First Year will get extra power when you use a removal spell to get it through. So if you're generally going to be killing your opponent's creatures that they're trying to block with, it makes sense that Eager First Year would be better than Leech Fanatic and Arrogant Poet. If you're lower on removal, if you're low on removal, you want to lean toward having more evasion. There's like this way to draft Silver Quill where you just prioritize, okay, all my creatures are evasive and I'm going to have a low curve and I'm just going to like not let my opponents block. I don't have as much removal, but all I need to do is kill my opponent's things that can block flyers and curve out. And I'll like win the race if they're trying to race and I will be hard to defend against. And so if you're like less removal, then you want more arrogant poets over your first years. 
And you might want something like Essence Infusion to be able to like win a race when that's what you have to do. So for like mirror match type situations or whatever. With Leech Fanatic, that of the three of them is the best when you have more like guiding voices and expanded anatomies and you're augmenting your creatures because the lifelink keyword is obviously really good to put extra power to. Arrogant Poet also works in that kind of role, but Arrogant Poet can kind of do its own thing. And you're more concerned about like, okay, well, like, how do I win the race? How do I make sure that I can keep connecting with my flyers? Whereas the Leech Fanatic sometimes can't get itself through. And the best way to get it through is to just like pump it up so that it can battle through a blocker. When balancing like which of these three two drops do I want, they're all pretty comparable power level. I've had some people when I'm drafting say like, oh no, this one's better than this one or whatever. It's actually pretty contextual. First thing that I would look at in terms of deciding which one is if I have a lot of removal, eager first year. If I have a lot of like guiding voice, expanded anatomy stuff, leech fanatic. If I have essence infusion specifically, or just like most of my things are flying or, you know, like generally I'm trying to play an evasive game. Maybe, maybe I even have something like Shadowing Laureate, which isn't a card I'm particularly into, but whatever. Then you're more likely to want that, the Arrogant Poet. Arrogant Poet in general is a lower priority than Eager First Year and Leech Fanatic for me. That's the two drops. That's kind of like how to think about them, because that's one of the questions that I run into more often when I'm drafting this kind of deck. Another question is the one drops. Do you want to play them at all? How do you want to prioritize them? I mean, so iTwitch is great. Let's leave that out of the conversation. We're talking about the commons. iTwitch is amazing. Really high pick. Better than every common. iTwitch actually has better stats than Combat Professor. Combat Professor is the top common. The uncommons that have better stats than it are Professor of Symbology, Killian, iTwitch, Humiliate, and then uh, Thunderous Order is just a little bit behind Combat Professor. Closing statement is... Closing statement's probably better than Combat Professor. And Flunk is about on the level of Combat Professor. Uh, maybe a little bit behind. Combat Professor, Top Common, those other things, Uncommons you want more than it. Back to what I was saying about One Drops. Broadly speaking, I think Unwilling Ingredient is good enough to play and Star People isn't. Both of them have like not very good game in hand uh, win rate stats, though Unwilling Ingredient has non-embarrassing stats, unlike Star Pupil, and Unwilling Ingredient has very good opening hand stats that I think in an aggressive deck are good enough to justify playing it. You should try to play an Unwilling Ingredient or two, especially if you have like Guiding Voice, Thunderous Order, Humiliate. The fact that it has evasion and it pays you when it gets killed means it's a great place to put counters. So if you have cheap stuff that puts counters on things, then Unwilling Ingredient is much more desirable for your deck because it's a really good place to put those counters. If you don't have anything that puts counters on your creatures, then there's a good chance that you don't want to play on only ingredients, um, even if you are aggressive aside from the fact that you aren't augmenting any of your creatures. Especially because if you're not augmenting your creatures, then you're likely leaning on removal instead of pump. And if you're leaning on removal, then unwilling ingredient isn't as good because the evasion is less important because you can just kill blockers to get through and the low impact card is going to hurt you because you're uh, doing more one-for-one -one trades. So the more removal you have, the less you want on willing ingredient. The converse is true, the less removal you have, the more you want on willing ingredient. Then presumably since you have like other cards in your deck that aren't the removal, you likely, hopefully have guiding voice humiliate type stuff. That's how to think about that one. And then again, just like don't, don't, don't play star people if you can avoid it. 
I guess the one exception to the don't play star people rule would be if you have exactly sparring regimen, then it might be worth it. The best win rate cards in your opening hand, if you want to uh, analyze like how to draft an aggro deck in that way. Um, so if you just go down the list sorting for like the highest win rate in white black, that list would point you toward Combat Professor, Silvercloak Campus, Guiding Voice, Hunt for Specimens, Pilgrim of the Ages, Lash of Malice, Unwilling Ingredient, Eager First Year Leech Fanatic as like the top comments. Rise of X just below that. You shouldn't just look at opening hand win rate, but it's a good, you know, stat to consider a baseline thing. But when you're looking at that baseline, you want to say like, okay, which of these cards are like bad enough that they're that it's going to cost me a lot if I draw them late, if I prioritize them. Combat Professor has the best opening hand win rate, also has the best overall game in hand win rate. So it's just clearly the top common no matter how you want to like any, any way you slice it, Combat Professor is the top. Guiding Voice and Hunt for Specimens are basically neck and neck. Guiding Voice is better in your opening hand, Hunt for Specimens is better later in the game, and all of these stats are really, really close to each other. They're really basically like indistinguishable cards from each other, like in terms of overall power level, which as I mentioned is largely, is most of what you're gonna end up looking at in this archetype. Though there are obviously some, you know, synergies like I talked about where like, oh, if you're in a spot where you're probably playing unwilling ingredients and leech fanatics, then the counter is more valuable for you. So it's probably you're in the spot where you're more likely to want to prioritize getting voiceover on for specimens. And, you know, given that it's close, that's the kind of stuff you can think about when you're trying to decide which card to take. The next on the list, Pilgrim of the Ages, I think warrants quite a bit of discussion. Pilgrim of the Ages has a really high opening hand win rate, which is interesting because this is an aggressive deck and Pilgrim is not super aggressive. I think of Pilgrim as a card that's like kind of, you know, good because it's good in the late game because you can do the recurring it thing. But it actually has one of the biggest drop-offs of all cards in Silver Quill from its like opening hand win rate to its overall win rate. Like it's wins 60, 60.2% in opening hand and 55.4% uh, like game in hand. So it's actually like really bad to draw later in a Silver Quill deck, which does actually make some sense because if it's in your opening hand, it's helping you make your fourth land drop. And on turn three, like this 2-1 that your opponent feels pretty bad about trading with because you already like got a land out of it. And if they trade with it, then you're in a position to like get value out of it from your graveyard. You can often participate meaningfully in combat and stuff. But later in the game, it just gets outclassed. Silver Quill doesn't have a really good late game. If you're at the point where your strategy is to recur a Pilgrim of the Ages, whatever you're playing against is probably going to beat you. So like the recur Pilgrim of the Ages part of the package in this archetype is not very meaningful, which means that it's good when it's when you want a 2-1 that finds a land, but not good when you want this like recursive 2-1 blocker or whatever. That would be what accounts for it having a good win rate early when you do want a 2-1 that finds a land, but bad overall when a 2-1 that finds a land doesn't do anything to help you finish the game. What this means is Pilgrim of the Ages is okay but not actually as high a priority as its opening hand win rate would suggest in this archetype. So I would actually take Lash of Malice over it, but in most cases I would prioritize it over Unwilling Ingredient because it is better in your opening hand and only the tiniest bit worse late game. I think Pilgrim of the Ages is like pretty close with uh, Eager First Year and Leech Fanatic. It wins like 1% less than them overall and like 1% more than them opening hand. So kind of a wash to me. So it, it's right in there as far as how high of priority it is for me. And then similarly, like Rise of Extus, obviously because it costs six, has a little bit lower opening hand win rate than the two drops, 
but a little bit higher overall win rate because it is a more powerful card. But again, that's a spot where it's like 1% worse opening hand, 1%, 1.5% better overall. To me, often that means that I prioritize rise over the two drops, but also I'm talking like early in a draft and I'm pretty flexible and pretty willing to play Silver Quill a little bit more controlling. If you're very, very committed to, I, I definitely want to attack with the Silver Quill deck, then you should generally prioritize the two drops over Rise of Exodus for the most part, I would say. The next cards down in terms of like your uh, opening hand win rate are Arrogant Poet, Silver Quill Pledge Mage, Essence Infusion, Professor's Warning. All of those have like fairly comparable stats in terms of just across the board. Uh, Essence Infusion and Professor's Warning, both of those are like actually better outside your opening hand and worse inside your opening hand than the creatures, which kind of makes sense. You want to play them a little bit later when you can get value out of the trick or whatever. You want to play a two drop on turn two. You want to play Infusion or Professor's Warning as like a high impact, low mana cost play a little bit later in the game. And then Star Pupil is next in open hand win rate, but that's basically invalidated by its really low overall win rate. Then Study Break is like behind Star Pupil opening hand win rate, but like 5% better game in hand overall. Uh, Study Break has a better overall win rate than almost everything. Everything behind Hunt for Specimens. So like better than Pilgrim, Lash, First Year, Leech Fanatic, Eyes of Exodus, all the two drops. It's a tiny bit worse opening hand, but way better later. I think it's great for breaking through. I st think Study Break should be a much higher priority than the opening hand win rate sort suggests and should be prioritized more closely to what the overall game and hand win rate would suggest, which is to say, right up with the other learn cards. Mage Hunter's Onslaught is in a similar situation where that should be prioritized, I think just behind Rise of Exodus, but comparably worse than Rise, but about as good as like the the two drops in that kind of space. The other commons that I would like to have in my deck are Spectre of the Fens, Beaming Defiance, and Island Shield Mage. All of these have like better stats and I think are better cards than the other commons. You know, there are some other commons you can play in a pinch. It's like not the end of the world if you have to have like the 2-2 Death Touch and Spiteful Squad, but you should try to avoid it. Same thing with like Witherbloom Pledge Mage and Lorehold Pledge Mage and stuff like that. Those are the, the commons that you want to prioritize, roughly that order. I guess I mentioned Professor of Symbology, Killian, Eye Twitch, Humiliate over all of those, and then Combat Professor, Thunderous Orator, Eliminate, Closing Statement, Silver Quill Apprentice, Flunk are all kind of comparable. Silver Quill Apprentice is, I think, better than the other two drops, but likely worse than the learn cards. So Silver Quill Apprentice is the white black apprentice. So two, two for two that has Magecraft when you play, when Magecraft plus one, plus one, plus one, plus oh, any creature until end of turn. So like an eager first year that can pump other stuff. I wasn't sure before playing it how much better an eager first year it would be. I think it's a lot better than eager first year. The ability to pump other stuff is really important, both in terms of getting the most out of your combat tricks and like having instants that can swing other combats and also pumping an evasive creature when you don't have an attack with this. You just end up getting a bunch of extra damage out of it that Eager First Year wouldn't give you. Also, the fact that it can pump something the turn that you play it is pretty big. There's a big drop off after Flunk in terms of like quality of uncommons. So like the next tier of uncommons down is like Brackish Trudge, Shadewing Laureate, and Umbral Juke. But those are all a pretty big step down from Flunk and Silver Quill Apprentice and the other better cards. And then there aren't a lot of other uncommons that you're particularly interested in playing. So one thing that is noteworthy about this deck is you don't need a lot of uncommons and rares. Uh, I think like the 
basically all commons version of this deck can be really strong. Part of why this deck is so strong is it's really consistent. All the cards play well together. They're all, you know, pretty compatible at doing something similar. So you're not counting on seeing cards that you're less likely to see. It's all lower rarity stuff can build your deck. And the uncommons that you want aren't doing something different in kind for you for the most part, right? Like Professor of Symbology, Killian, Itwitch are just like straight upgrades over the other learn cards, the other two drops, the other one drops, but they're not radically transformative. These aren't like build around uncommons. Killian does let you do some different stuff. It makes the expensive removal a lot more palatable, and you can even play Exhilarating Elocution or whatever it's called, the four mana, two plus one plus one counters on one thing and pump your team card. Like It's okay to play that if you have ideally multiple Killians. But for the most part, it's just like, yeah, these are just creatures that go in my curve. They're just better than the other creatures that would go in my curve. But like if you have to play slightly worse creatures, but you still just like have a good curve, have removal, your deck is going to play out similarly, maybe not as good, but the play style will be the same. Your support cards are going to be just as effective and you're still going to like run over people who stumble or whatever. As far as just like getting a feel for the deck, having it play out the way you expect, all of that doesn't really depend on higher rarity cards. And also there's just like a lot of interchangeable pieces. It's really easy to get Professor's Warning or Beaming Defiance. And the fact that there are two cards that do that kind of thing mean that it's really easy to be like, okay, my deck has some instants that protect creatures that I put counters on using, I don't know, either Essence Infusion or Expanded Anatomy or Guiding Voice. Also, I kill my opponent's blockers sometimes. I have like Lash of Malice or Mage Hunter's Onslaught, or I get lucky and get an uncommon and I have Flunk Eliminate Closing Statement. There are just a lot of like different pieces that do very similar things, which is part of why this deck is so consistent and easy to draft and consistently does well. So I talked a lot about the ranking of commons in your deck and how to prioritize them against each other and that you should prioritize learn where do the lessons fit in here. So I think the lessons that you want to prioritize most among commons, I mean, so obviously Mascot Exhibition gets prioritized against over everything else in the set, no matter what you are, blah, blah, blah. Necrotic Fumes, I think, is a great card specifically if you have Hunt for Specimens as the way that you're learning. Much less good if you don't have Hunt for Specimens, like Guiding Voice Finding Necrotic Fumes is just a totally different concept than Hunt for Specimens Finding Necrotic Fumes. If you have a couple Hunt for Specimens, Necrotic Fumes is amazing. But in general, the lessons that you want to prioritize in this deck, uh, Inkling Summoning and Expanded Anatomy. You want your first one of both of those before your second one of either of them, and you want those two more than you want anything else. Outside of that, any lesson you can cast is good, obviously. More lessons is more options. I would still probably want my second Inkling Summoning or second Expanded Anatomy, maybe before any other lesson, but I would certainly want basically any other lesson before my third of either of those. As for like how high to take Inkling Summoning and Expanded Anatomy, very. I wouldn't take them over Combat Professor, but I would likely be willing to take them over Guiding Voice and Hunt for Specimens, especially if I have like other ways to learn and don't have one of those. If it's a second copy of either Inkling Summoning or Expanded Anatomy, then I'll probably take Guiding Voice or Hunt for Specimens over them. If I don't, then I'm more interested in making sure I have those premium lessons. I think the those two lessons in particular are like the main ones that Silver Collagro is like kind of basing its strategy around and you really, really want to prioritize making sure that your deck has access to them. If you are late in the draft and you simply can't find 
in Inkling Summoning, then you can start to supplement with like Spirit Summoning, Pest Summoning type stuff just to make sure that you can get a threat when you have to. I think that basically covered it. As far as like what puts you into this archetype, it's pretty straightforward. Just like mostly those good uncommons that I talked about and Combat Professor. There are a couple of rares that do it. Shattered Silver Quill, Sparring Regimen, any aggressive white or black card. Poet's Quill is, you know, super flexible. You can go into this from, from that first pick or you can draft anything else. It doesn't really matter. Blot Out the Sky is a card that puts me into Silver Quill, which means I'll likely be Silver Quill aggro, but also it you know, wins late games. So I would tend to draft slightly more as a control deck if I had it, and I'd also be willing to splash it in whatever. And so it's much less of a commitment or provides less direction. I think for the most part, it's just like, the strong, aggressive black and white uncommons, combat professors, guiding voices, and study breaks, and then to a slightly less extent, uh, hunt for specimens, and those things that are going to make me want to be silver quill aggro specifically before I f figure out like whether I'm silver quill aggro or just like some other black deck or whatever. I'm going to be taking like Lash of Malice, hunt for specimens, stay flexible, and then I might end up moving into the space or I might move somewhere else basically covers the lecture portion here. Final note is just really don't try to get too fancy. Just prioritize, you know, having a low curve, having removal. Don't worry a lot about synergy. It should just inform like which two drops you're taking. It shouldn't change anything radical about your strategy and don't try to do too much cute stuff. So I'm going to open the floor to Twitch chat here for any questions. I do want to thank my new patrons this week on patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. Thank you to caregiver, Thomas, Jerry, Brian, Rusty, Jason, and Keaton. Really appreciate the support. As always, if you're getting a lot out of this podcast and want to contribute back, or you like the idea of getting perks, getting voting access and access to my notes and stuff like that, be sure to check out patreon.com slash drafting archetypes and see if you would like to become a patron. First question is about Umbral Juke and Silver Cool Pledge Mage, saying that these they seem strong, but got no mention. I did mention both of them. Umbral Juke is in kind of the mid-tier of uncommons below the premium stuff, in with like uh, Brackish Troll, Shadewing Laureate, and Umbr Umbral Juke was the third of those cards. Silver Cool Pledge Mage similarly was just mentioned in the list somewhere in the middle behind Bryce Vextus and Arrogant Poet ahead of Essence Infusion Professor's Warning. Both are like reasonably good things to do with three mana, but the way this deck works, your top priority is making sure that you're spending your mana on two especially. And these are good threats, good ways to like get evasion, good ways to close out the game. But they're not like super high priorities just because you want to make sure that you have your two drops, you have your learn cards, you have your removal and they end up competing for your mana usage with Inkling Summoning and Expanded Anatomy over time. That said, I have been impressed by Silver Quill Pledge Mage overall. I do think it's a very good card. It's played an extremely high amount in this archetype. I think it's one of the top total like game in hands overall in black and white decks, which isn't surprising. If you're like Silver Quill, you want it much more than anybody else does. But it, it, it is never disappointed. Um, it is a strong card. Like I didn't really like talk about it because it's kind of in its in a class on its own where it's like the three mana common that you want. Maybe I should actually note that it's likely that you should actually prioritize drafting Silver Quill Pledge Mage over Eager First Year Leech Fanatic and Arrogant Poet just because those three are interchangeable. Whereas Silver Quill Pledge Mage I do think is a step ahead of Pilgrim of the Ages and 
has no other competition at common. Like you really want to play one of those two things as your three drops if you want three drops. So it would be reasonable to take Pledge Mage over the common two drops, especially if you have some uncommon two drops and then just expect that you're going to find enough two drops eventually. All of first year Leech Fanatic and Airy go later, and so you shouldn't have a lot of trouble getting access to them. That said, you want like, I don't know, six to eight two drops and like three three drops or something. So there's a lot of balancing to do there, and sometimes you might take one or the other. It really depends on where you're at. But I certainly didn't mean any shade on Silver Quill Apprentice. It is a good card or Silver Quill Pledge Mage, rather, was more about, you know, draft it as makes sense for your curve. It doesn't have a lot of, like, competition or, like, special notes about where it goes. It's just, like, generally good in Silver Quill, and it's a three-drop. Uh, there is a question about how to use Shadrick's Silver Quill. That's too contextual to answer. I'm sorry. Any combination of modes can come up, and it really depends on the game state. The more important question for how to use Shadrick's Silver Quill is you want to be ahead on the battlefield. It's, like... Very, very strong when you have more creatures than your opponent, basically however you use it, and really awkward to use if your opponent has more creatures than you. So Shadrix really wants you to like have a low curve and be aggressive, or to be extremely controlling and get to the point where your opponent has no creatures, and you can like put a plus one, plus one counter on all the creatures they don't have, and draw a card or whatever it is you want to do. But like the easiest way to take advantage of Silver Quill is to just have a lot more creatures than your opponent, and then you pump all your creatures and give them a chump blocker, or make another creature and make their not enough creatures to block bigger or whatever. Whatever mode you're using, it's going to be way better if you're ahead. So the primary thing when you draft Shadrix is to just like prioritize either having a ton of removal or having a, like a low curve and a lot of board presence. And then once you're in a game, you should be able to just like figure it out by thinking about, okay, what happens if I do each of these things? Next question is about Crushing Disappointment, which is a card that doesn't have great stats, but I have been reasonably happy to play one of them, especially the lower my curve is and the more Magecraft I have. So I don't think it's a priority. I think it goes late and I don't really think you want to play two of them, but I think it's a totally serviceable card. Uh, next question, how do you value Silver Quill Campus? Given that you want to be aggro, do you still want it for consistency? Yes. So Silver Quill Campus has the second highest opening hand win rate of any common um, in Silver Quill. It's Combat Professor followed by Silver Quill Campus followed by Guiding Voice. Its overall game and hand win rate is lower. Guiding Voice, Hunt for Specimens, Lash of Malice have higher overall game and hand win rates. But Silver Cool Campus has great stats and also plays great. This is the same thing came up in Lorehold with Lorehold Campus. While you do have some lessons that give you some additional mana sinks, you are fundamentally an aggro deck and you will likely run out of stuff to do. Your lessons aren't very expensive. They don't chain into more card draw or anything. And having that mana sink to help find maybe a removal spell or study break to like push the last couple points through or something is really huge game. Also, just making sure that you have both your colors early is really big. Silver Quill Campus is a high priority, and I would play multiples of them. Next question is about Lorehold Pledge Mage. Lorehold Pledge Mage is much worse than Silver Quill Pledge Mage here, clearly, both because it's uh, harder to cast, most importantly. This deck really prioritizes the evasion and or lifelink to race that Silver Quill Pledge Mage is giving. I haven't found that this deck makes particularly great use of the first strike from Lorehold Pledge Mage, which has impressed me actually in uh, Lorehold. But with fewer instant speed combat tricks that increase power, less likely to play Make Your Mark, and you can't play Enthusiastic Study. Those relatively hurt Lorehold Pledge Mage to the point where I would rather just have like other cards. 
How many two drops do you need for in general? Somewhere in the like six plus, probably not more than 10 or 12 kind of ballpark, but a lot. Another question about Lorehold Pledge Mage, but also about Wither Bloom Pledge Mage. So Wither Bloom Pledge Mage is a card that I like, but this isn't the right spot for it. You don't really want fives, and when you do want to play a five, Alan Shield Mage is generally better here for you, because usually your opponent is on the back foot enough that it will threaten to kill them, and the ward will be very useful. The Witherbloom Pledge Mage is often going to have to like overcome a lot of blockers that you were hoping to ignore or evade, so it's just not a great fit. The lessons I mentioned are, to answer this next question, prioritized more than environmental sciences once you're uh, in this archetype. Early in a draft, when I don't know what I am, I'm going to prioritize environmental science. But uh, if I know that I'm Silverquill, I absolutely am much more interested in the aggressive lessons that I mentioned. So environmental science is a valuable card to have in a two-color deck because it can help you make land drops and you're missing land drops. However, because Silverquill's curve is so low, it's often reasonably happy to just like stop at two or three lands for a while and do other stuff, which means that it's even less valuable to have access to environmental sciences because even when you are low on land drops, you would still often rather just take the Inkling Summoner or Expanded Anatomy and not waste all that time and mana to make another land drop that you don't especially need when your curve is so low. So environmental science is actually an extremely low priority, like lower in Silver Quill than it is anywhere else, I would say. And it's already a fairly low priority in two-color decks, even though it is obviously good to have access to any unique lesson that you can cast, but it's a really low priority for this deck. Kind of similar direction here for the next question. Is there anything I would consider worth splashing in Silver Quill Aggro, particularly if you already have environmental sciences? So in general, I've often mentioned that I am very low on splashing in aggro decks. That doesn't mean never do it, especially if you already have an environmental sciences in a deck that can learn pretty well. But you want to make sure that you're only splashing for like legitimate bombs. So like the last one that came to mind, I had a silver quill aggro deck where I splashed lore hold command. I would do that every time. You only want to splash for cards like that that are a single mana of a different color, ideally one that you can uh, use a campus to help with your splash on that is on plan. Lorehold Command is an aggressive card that costs enough mana that it's easy to fix for without being so much mana that it's like outside of the scope of my aggro deck. So like I might not want to, like it would be worse to splash for Velomachus Lorehold because the game might be determined too often by the time I have seven mana. But Lorehold Command was like a great splash. I don't know how many other cards there are like that. It might literally just be that, but it's rare but there are times where it's worth splashing for something. But it needs to be high impact, single color splash that is on plan. Next question is about Show of Confidence. I have played Show of Confidence some, and it is fine. I don't think it's unplayable. I don't think it's impressive. I've tried it out, and most of the time, I just use it as like a bad professor's warning. I'm saving it in case I maybe have like a bigger turn where I get to do something impressive with it. But then I end up just like finding a spot where the battle growth, the instant speed, put a plus one, plus one counter on something effect is just like good enough that I want that. It's better the more magecraft triggers you have and obviously also the more cheap instants you have. And also hypothetically, if you have anything that like specifically cares about plus one, plus one counters, which again, you should generally be avoiding. One of the cards that best with is uh, if, if you're trying to play Clever Luma Mancer, again, 
this is not the way that I recommend trying to go about your business. I think that it's better to just like play the cards that are, you know, generally good rather than like trying to string together multiple questionable cards. But if you have a bunch of guiding voices that pushes you toward, well, now this Lumamancer starts to make sense because the guiding voices can give me like two different spells, like two different magecraft triggers and they're a potentially cheap triggers. So now maybe since like I have all these like double trigger things and I want some magecraft stuff, maybe I play this clever Lumamancer and now maybe I put this like, you know, fancy combo kill in with show of confidence. It's not unplayable. But it, it's not something you should prioritize, and it's 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 mostly just an also-ran. The next question is about whether there are cards that are good in Silver Quill that aren't good in an aggressive strategy. I guess this would be cards that like point you towards Silver Quill control. Obviously, the first one that comes to mind is Expel. And then, I guess, similar to Expel, Divine Gambit is the other card that's in a similar spot. Both of those are cards that I like to play when I'm drafting Silver Quill defensively, which is a thing that I am uh, more inclined to do than most players. When I draft Silver Quill defensively, I'm drafting it uh, kind of similarly to the Demure style that I talked about last week, where I'm prioritizing the fact that Silver Quill has these really good cheap lessons, and now I maybe am prioritizing uh, environmental science, and now I'm looking to maybe splash some other cards and looking to take advantage of the fact that the other Silver Quill players are not prioritizing things like Expel and Pilgrim of the Ages and Divine Gambit. I think that that works well if you are in kind of like the Doomier mindset that I talked about. Maybe you're even splashing Serpentine Curve or whatever. That's like a direction that I would personally be likely to go in with a card like Blot Out the Sky. For the most part, I think outside of like exactly Expel and Divine Gambit, and then to some extent Rise of Exodus just because it's a powerful six mana spell. Most of the cards that are good in Silver Quill are good aggressively. I guess Witherbloom Pledge Mage is another card that can be cast by white and black mana that is not particularly good in like Silver Quill aggro that might push you into a different direction, though. I would say that's slightly off topic for drafting Silver Quill aggro. Those are more like the cards that you could hypothetically cast that you probably don't want to. Next question How do you decide whether to play 17 lands or 16? Pretty good question. This deck does often want to play 16. It's largely a function of am I going up to Rise of Exodus or not? Do I have like multiple campuses and or access tunnels as mana sinks? How many learn things do I have? Though again, often your learning stuff is cheap and is finding relatively cheap being three mana lessons. And so it doesn't actually increase your curve all that much. I would say fairly often in Silver Quill, I do end up playing 16 rather than 17 lands. Next question is about playing campuses that are only half on color. If I don't have any Silver Quill campuses, I will play a Lorehold or Witherbloom campus. I think with one Silver Quill campus, I would usually play a second half on color campus, but I don't think that I would play a third campus that was a half on color campus, though I would play three silver cool campuses. The next question is about the Biblioplex and whether it's worth playing as a 17th land. I think the Biblioplex is likely often going to be good enough that you should play it in a silver cool deck. I don't know that I would generally play it as a 17th rather than just playing 16 and playing it. Kind of depends on how tight my mana requirements were and how many campuses I had. But I do think that the Biblioplex is a fine card to play in this kind of deck. All right, I believe that will wrap us up. 
Thank you everyone for tuning in. As always, for anyone who is unaware that this podcast runs across many platforms, you can watch it on YouTube or you can watch it live on Twitch recorded at 8 p.m. Central Time on Wednesday, or you can listen to it on whatever podcast app you like to listen to podcasts on. If you have found this podcast via any of those things that are not your preferred ways to consume this kind of content, be informed that you have options. Also, for those of you who are listening on YouTube or anyone who has YouTube on uh, account and would like to help us out, we are getting very close right now as I'm recording this to a thousand subscribers on YouTube, which I gather is a significant milestone. And so if you could hit subscribe right now, that would help us out. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in, and I will be back next week.